This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band Humphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I welcomed my friend and Umphreys McGee Road Merch Manager, Sam Sutton, to the show. It was so wonderful to catch up with him and talk about how life has been for him and his family, what happened when Umphreys got the news they were not going to be able to play their California run back in March, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I love talking with Sam and seriously could shoot the shit with him all day long. Thank you again to Sam for your time and all of your continued support of this show. I cannot wait to see you and give you the biggest hug ever. There is a link in the show notes where you can give a listen to our full conversation and also a link to where you can check out the video of our chat on the show's YouTube channel and IGTV. Also, if you're interested in the first time that Sam and I chat back in 2018, episode four, there is a link for that as well. Before we dive in, I want to share with you an amazing offer exclusively for my listeners from audible.com. Audible.com allows you to choose from thousands of audiobook titles to download that you can listen to offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free to download and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And something I thought was awesome, you can listen across devices without losing your spot. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and personal development. Every month, members receive one credit to pick any title from a number of genres and subjects, two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Also, if you can't decide what you want to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your monthly credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series later if you'd like. I personally love reading personal development books and biographies about musicians, which I'm sure is not a surprise to hear. I've listened to some really great ones using Audible. A few that I loved were The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, You Are a Badass by Jen Sinchiro, and some incredible biographies like The Dirt, The Motley Crue Story, Gold Dust Woman about Stevie Nicks, and Life by Keith Richards, which was absolutely phenomenal, and I seriously recommend that book to every music fan that I know. No matter what your favorite genre, Audible has something you'll enjoy. 
Head to audibletrial.com slash dropped among this crowd and you'll receive a 30 day free trial of Audible and a free audiobook of your choice. A perfect way to snag that book you've been meaning to check out. That's audibletrial.com slash D R O P P E D A M O N G T H I S C R O W D for your free 30 day trial of Audible and free audiobook. This week, I am bringing you my conversation with Ali Baba Stahini, founding member and bass player, Mother Vinegar guitarist, and the man who has written the lyrics to a few of the Umphreys McGee songs that you know and love, Carl Engelman. Listen as Carl talks about the various music projects that he's been working on, dives into his love of taking apart guitars and making something that you can't find in a store. We take a little walk down memory lane to the days of ABT and Umphreys opening for each other and sharing a stage. Where the OG Bright Lights Big City can be found relives a story that Ryan Stasek told when he was on the podcast back in November. We also talk about the recently released Alibaba's Tahini album, Bottom Feeders, and a bunch more. Thank you a whole bunch to Carl for his time and chatting with me. I love listening to him talk about all sorts of stuff and is someone else that I could spend hours chatting with. I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to what he has to say. If you'd like to check out my conversation with other Alibaba's Tahini members from earlier in the year, there is a link to the episodes with drummer Steve Crojo and keyboard player Justin Powell in the show notes. Also, I recently had the pleasure of chatting with Mother Vinegar drummer Kevin Castles. If you missed that, you can find a link to listen to that in the show notes as well. And the two-part Ryan Stasek interview that I just briefly mentioned back in November can also be found in the show notes as well. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, sweet prints, or sells other interesting products that you think peeps would like to purchase? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umphreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that can make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd help you get the word out. With interviews on the show and sponsorship packages that include ad time on the podcast, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, and so much more, Dropped Among This Crowd can help you reach tons of fellow umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow ump family. Email droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more. So here is my conversation with musician Carl Engelman. Enjoy. So how has everything been going? So you're in North Carolina. So you guys did your stay-at-home order later than me in New York. When did you guys start your stay-at-home order? And because you're, you have a restaurant, what is, like, what has that been looking like for you? Uh, right around St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I think it was the day before. Well, we had, we had always had, you know, we were like kind of had our our ear on the rail, so to speak, on like 
what was coming down the pike with um, what the CDC was recommending and the administration and all that. So we a day before we were mandated to, we had already switched over to all uh, takeout. Okay. Uh, because some of some of the other restaurants in the area already started to do all takeout, and we kind of just saw it coming. So the very next day after we decided to do that, then we were mandated by the state. So we were already we were at a step ahead, but it was by one day, and that was the day after. Or no, that was St. Patrick's Day, then the seventeenth of of March. Okay, so, uh, so right jo- around the same amount of time because we were. Yeah, like St. Patrick's Day was like our first, like I think they called school that day here. Right. So ever ever since then, we've been uh, just, we've been reduced to just takeout. Uh, We've already had a takeout uh, system already in place. Mm -hmm. And when we bought our business in uh, 2015, the the previous owners had already uh, put this system together and we took we took the system and then modernized it and made it more um, uh, made it more automatic, automized it, automized it basically, and we we uh, increased a lot of our, uh, the business on that end. So we we have, we basically have three parts to our business. One is the takeout program that we do, and it's basically a menu that comes out. We do it twice a week. People put in their orders, and they put their orders in online, and we get a little ticket that pops up, and then they put their orders together, and then they pick them up on uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. The second part of our business is, of course, uh, large groups and wedding catering, mm-hmm. and uh, that is pretty much taking a back seat right now. There's no yeah. – because you can't have any groups larger than 10 people, really, and so all catering is pretty much just dropped off. And then the third is restaurant, and since we don't really see the point in um, having a restaurant that you can only seat, what is it, ten people for five hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. That's the and that's and it's even less here in North Carolina. That's the Georgia standards, um, and for takeout as well, the, the numbers just aren't there. So we just took away two of those sources of room, of uh, services, and we just went with the one service that we've been doing for the last five years anyway that we had already built up. So with that, we, um, that section of the business has increased over 300%. Wow. So it's been, in, it's been insane uh, where I've actually, ha- I've been able to keep things running and, uh, and whatnot here at the restaurant. I've actually been able to pay my bills and pay my rent here. My landlord is very happy. He was going to let me slide on the rent for the next two or three months, and uh, and it wasn't necessary. So I said, hey, I was like, just keep that card in your back pocket, and then when things really go sideways, maybe I'll use it. But right. we're, able to, to, we're able to, yeah, we're able to do it now. We haven't taken any government loans out. We haven't done anything like that. We've, we were able to function, so we're not looking for handouts at all. I have a line on a... Uh, a, a bridge loan or a startup loan, I like to call it, mm-hmm. just in case you know we ro- open up the restaurant again and we need a little bit of cash flow to to uh, bring people back to start cleaning to start ordering product and that kind of thing. But um, <clears throat> that's the only only kind of loans that uh, I'm looking at doing. But 
otherwise we're able to we're totally able to just hold our own which has been amazing so we're really happy yeah hell yeah congratulations that's i'm sure not easy at all um to course correct like that and you know kind of figure out what to do next and keep your head oh yeah i mean at, at first we were totally freaking out i mean we were like oh my god you know and then we were trying to figure out you know all these things that we need to cut you know, and, and, and all of this, but we did have to let, you know, since we closed the restaurant, essentially, we did have to lay off all the employees, which is, you know, whatever, you know, that's what happened, but, you know, they're, they're kind of taken care of with um, un, in, um, unemployment insurance and that kind of thing. And I told them, I'm like, yeah, as soon as we open the restaurant back up, you know, get ready, you know, so mm-hmm. it's been really good. And, and the other thing too, is we've had all the family members help out, now with the with the uh, with the program, uh, I've got m- both of my teenage boys helping out. My wife, of course, helps out, so we're able to pull together as a family and get it done. So it's been pretty good. Nice. So what have you been doing at home? I know you've been going live on Instagram a couple Sundays there, which has been super awesome. Yesterday was well, um, super awesome as well. Projo coming in there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I, so I've been working, which if I haven't been, if I wasn't working, I think I would go crazy. I have got to be doing something. But one thing I have been doing is besides recording a lot is, uh, I've taken up bird watching. Okay. <laughs> so I went and got all these bird feeders and all this bird feed and we put it out on my porch and, uh, we went bird watching we went on the lake yesterday. We have, we live by a lake. We have a pontoon boat, and we went on the on the lake yesterday and did some bird watching. And we actually found um, a, a nest of bald eagles. Really? It was uh, yeah, three uh, juvenile bald eagles and two adults, wow. and it was pretty freaking cool. I bet. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I, I it it was it's just like something out of a out of a movie or a book or something or a geographic national geographic film it was really neat so we did some bird watching yesterday on the boat plus uh we did some pontooning and some sunning and there were a crap ton of people on the lake the lake we live next to is called chatoog lake it's uh it's a tva lake and it's it's uh it it's on it borders on north carolina and georgia so there's georgia side and there's north carolina side so all of the restaurants on the on the north on the Georgia side are were all open yesterday. So there was a lot of activity in Georgia. There were lots of people on motorcycles and uh, lots of people on the lake. Um, most people keeping their distance and stuff. You know, it was the only weird part about it is you know you didn't really see clusters of people. It was more like there were a lot of people, but they're all kind of spread out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so, good. But good. <laughs> but if you want to social distance from somebody. Go on a boat and go in the lake. I mean, it's like the best yeah. way to social distance from somebody because you really are literally, you are just away from everyone. So mm-hmm. going on a boat is definitely a therapeutic and a wonderful thing to do um, during this time for sure. Uh, and so I've been doing the bird watching thing. We've been going on the boat when we can. Um, I live in the woods basically. So there's a lot of trails that we've been going on and, um, uh, and of course I've been recording in my studio downstairs and, um, just trading tracks back and forth. I got a track from Jake 
who was it last week? I think it was last week. Yeah, last week he wrote called Dark Waters. Nice. And I wrote lyrics wrote lyrics to it and put it on there. It's very it's a very apocalyptic song. It's it's got kind of like tones of anger and also some sweet, nice tones, kind of both. And it really reflects on the current environment of what's what's going on right now. Um, and exactly then of course how I feel about the about the Eastern quarantine song. The music of that yeah. that he wrote is just spot on to the feeling right. of what what it, it's been like so far. Exactly. Um so we've been doing some uh, track track trading, I guess. And then, of course, I'm working on two albums. I'm working on my food album, which I think I am on the last song of that. Uh, it, the last song is called Honey. And uh, right now I'm waiting on uh, Justin Powell to finish some keyboard tracks to throw my way. Um, other than that, they, my album has got some cameos with, Justin's on it. My buddy Ben Kilmer is on it. Who's the he's the drummer who plays with the country guy that I mess around with, Andrew mm-hmm. Chastain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, I might get Andrew to sing on it too. Yet I haven't. I'm almost done tracking, so I haven't. You know, I haven't really gotten him to sing on any of the tracks. I might. I might look into doing that. Uh, and then I have uh, Joe Daughtery, who's a guitar player from, uh, well, he, he just graduated from uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston, and um, mm-hmm. now he's living in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put he put a couple tracks on, two songs, I, I believe. Um, and he is just a brilliant guitar player. Um, just fantastic. I <clears throat> uh, got him on there, and then... Um, I'm looking at putting on uh, the Get More Wings song uh, with Andy's approval. He doesn't know about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm looking at getting him on there as well. And um, I've got a couple other people that are really coming to mind right now, but um, some people who have um, added to the, to the stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's been really good. I figured if I'm going to make an album, I'm going to make it about something I know about. So food, uh, what happened was I just kept on writing songs about food. And I'm like, well, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> so I might as well just like put together an album on food. So, and then of course I'm doing the, um, the mother vinegar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Been, yeah. We've been doing some tracks with that. Um, I have, we, I have a lot of it finished already tracked and uh, some of it mastered. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's been a work in progress. We've been working on that for the last two years, um, and some of it sounds fantastic. And we're really really happy to get a lot of those tracks actually recorded, because what all these tracks that are on the record are all songs that we used to play live that uh, we never got to record. Nice. So uh, we re- revisited all of that and, and then put it together and. Um, uh, so that's we got that going on too. I don't know what kind of format the Mother Vinegar is going to get released on. I don't know really what Kevin has planned for it, if anything at all. Uh, the the food album, my personal album, will be more than likely to be released on SoundCloud. Um, just kind of free to everybody, really. 
So <clears> I'm not really looking up. Is this your I'm not first in it for the money? Self, <laughs> yeah. Is this your first self-titled album then? No, not really. I um back in uh 2001. Okay. 2002, I think I did a little solo album thing that it really wasn't produced by anybody but me and it wasn't on a label or anything, but I made a bunch of CDs and gave them to everybody. It was called uh, a star is born. Okay. And this was way before the, the, the movie, obviously. And that album actually included the original version of bright lights, big city. And that's what I, that's what I sent to, uh, Bayless way back when um and then they decided to cover it so i think that was 2002 because i think they played it live 2003 it might have been debuted i'm not really sure you'd you'd have to check your check your dates on that but i think it's right around that time period Hmm. very interesting i will definitely dig more into that i'm sure i can can get a straight answer about that that's very cool Mm -hmm. So you, I saw you made a flying V guitar. Talk about doing that. <laughs> well, I I just started getting into this over the last year. Um, what it is 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 I I was like, I I I'd go to like guitar center and I go to these places and I try to buy guitars, and I was just like, you know, I don't want to buy these prefab guitars that they're selling i mean i've always been attracted to more of the used stuff anyway mm-hmm. but i got to the point where i was just kind of like you know i just want to like customize my own stuff so then i started messing around with things you know i've always like tinkered around with banjos that i had and uh certain electronics and that kind of thing um but what i did was i i got into um building a guitar and what i did was I bought some cheap guitars, like some Chinese guitars. Uh, I bought them around, and I took apart all the guitars. And then I went and I bought um, some bodies of guitars. Like I bought a Telecaster body, and then I bought all new electronics. And then I went and I got like some hot rod Seymour Duncan pickups, like top of the line, some badass pickups because i was like if it doesn't matter anything on the guitar doesn't really matter to me except for the way it sounds and the, the guitar is the, the sound of the guitar is 99 percent of it's going to be the pickups because mm-hmm. that's what that's what picks up the sound obviously mm-hmm. so i i really spent a lot of money trying to get awesome pickups and then i just started putting these guitars together and and then i started to um uh, collect things and sand them down and everything. Well, anyway, a, a, a friend of mine had a Flying V guitar, but the guitar he had, it was like a knockoff brand of some cheap bullshit. I don't even know what it was. So it, it had this glossy paint on it. So I went and got a belt sander and I sanded the crap out of it and just, and, and then just got this, you know, V Flying V guitar that with all the paint stripped off of it. And then I went ahead and stained it myself and then um, modified it to uh, – I bought some new high-end pickups again, more electronics. I had all of these um, tuners and 
I had a, a bunch of tuning knobs and stuff that I'd already picked off of other guitars. Now it's like I have a whole bunch of junk now. I call it guitar junk because I've been taking guitars apart and just, you know, recreating guitars and, and all of this, and just picking up necks here and tuners there. So I have all this junk laying around. So I'm like putting all this stuff together. And now I'm really getting into just making these crazy guitars out of what I could, what I could find. I'm no perfectionist by any means. I like there to be some kind of defections or some kind of grit to it. Mm-hmm. I don't like these guitars that are all like perfect and, you know, everything else. I like them so they, they feel used and they look used. But so the, the Flying V was the last one that I did. Uh, then I can tell you the next one I'm looking at doing is, a, is an SG bottle body. Um, and I think I'm going to buy an SG body. Either they make, you can buy uh, unfinished bodies. Or I could hunt around for a cheap SG somewhere and and uh, refinish the body and then uh, fabricate it to my needs. Um, so that's that's my next project um, <clears throat> that I'll probably get into as far as the building end of stuff. But I I love doing it. I've had this idea for a long time uh, that my father-in-law has had talked about, and that you know I live in Appalachia, and I was thinking of how cool it would be if I could find some Appalachian woods to create bodies with like um, some Appalachian hardwoods and some pines and just some things that are indigenous to this area. Mm-hmm. And they kind of market it as that, like this is an Appalachian body guitar and then just go crazy with it. Apparently, you know, looking on Instagram, there are a bunch of people who are into this kind of thing. And uh, I just, I just friended this or started following this one guy and he's starting to take like pieces of cheese graters and all kinds of junk, and and building these guitars out of just junk, and it is the coolest thing ever. There's this one guy. He built a, it's a ten string. Oh, you're here. Okay, it's a ten string mandocello guitar. Um. So, yeah. So there's 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 people out there that are doing this crazy stuff and building this custom guitar stuff, and and I just freaking love it. I think it is the most awesome thing in the world. So now it's like. Those kind of things are more valuable to me than, you know, going to Guitar Center and seeing these, you know, these prefab Japanese, Chinese, Korean guitars that are just, you know, they just don't do anything for me these days. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with all that. It's it's been been a you know, it's been a ball. So I'm I'm really happy doing that stuff. My wife can't stand it. I spend too much money. If I come home with uh, guitar parts or if I get something in from Amazon, she's just like, she's about to lose her shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to say that. <laughs> I do want to talk about you doing your Instagram lives, you know, why you decided sure. to start doing those and, you know, kind of your, your reason for continuing to do them. Well, uh, I think part of the reason is boredom. Um, uh, and then it turned into uh, a reason to drink on Sunday morning, <laughs> and uh, and now it's it's turning into that, and also an avenue to maybe promote um, maybe promote the new food album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know. I just kind of got kind of started doing it, and it was kind of wacky. And and uh, uh, my I like to call him. Uh, we'll just call him Chris. But uh, my uh, personal, (laughs) 
I call him my personal manager because we're always going back and forth about, you know, what we should do and this and that and the other thing. Um, and he's just like, you, you should really hijack the ABT page next week because, you know, you'll get more followers and all that. And I was like, okay, whatever. So that's why we did it on the ABT page. I think it's good to keep something going on with the ABT as well. Also to promote the new album there as well, too. Um, I did. What did I do? I did one, one or two songs off the new album yesterday. Two. Maybe I just two, did. I did I do two? I thought it was two. Because I think I thought you did no. one and then. I think it? I just did um, Strolling. I just did Strolling, but I did Altitude off of Living Room. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's why I was and, thinking. And then, I, and then I did uh, Milk off of Lawnmower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get so. it's hard for me to keep like the ABT album straight with like the track listings. I'll admit, like my mom brain can only take so much knowledge right now. So I, I get it. Trust me. <laughs> I'm Trust like, me. Uh. so of course I want to talk about the new ABT album, which I'm sure that you know at this point I'm just the biggest fucking fan of. So if no one has listened to this album by this point, you absolutely need to. And I've had Krojo yes. on and Justin on, and we've talked about the album. So, of course, I want to talk to you about it. So, talk sure. about wanting to make the new album. Uh, I think the idea came when um, there was the A, they call it the ABT show. I don't, you know, uh, they had one over at Vegetable Buddies mm-hmm. in South Bend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought that, you know, kind of like, well, you know, we should we should really put out an album that kind of is more current to what we're doing in our situations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jim Leap, of course, he was all about it. Of course. And uh, he and he, Crojo and Jake kind of spearheaded the effort, uh, especially Crojo. He's very proactive in trying to get things done uh, for us and and whatnot and and Jim uh has just been phenomenal at putting this thing together. Mm-hmm. Um he really uh uh did a really good job getting all the people that needed to be together um uh, to to do the album. Um uh, also it, it was a good place to put some of these songs that have been kind of going around in my head for a while onto some kind of medium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then also uh, there were a couple songs that, uh, Justin and I had put together a while ago that we wanted to put on there as well. Um, and it, it all just kind of came together, you know, Yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to put together and, uh, it was like all the stars were aligned, I thought. And, um, it was definitely fun. What was your favorite part about you know, being able to make this album, it took what, like five, five years to completely come all together. So, you know, obviously you and Justin are in North Carolina and and Jake and, and Kojo and Jim are in Niles. So talk about, you know, you guys Mm -hmm. making this album and, you know, what your favorite part was about it. Well, my, my favorite part, um, has got to be, um, well, there's a lot of cool things that happen. But one thing that sticks out to me, a couple things do, 
was when I went up uh, for, I went about, did I go up for a week or two weeks? I think it was just a week. And it might have been seven or eight days. Um, and I drove up, uh, drove up to Michigan and South Bend, actually stayed in South Bend. And um, my favorite part has got to be having, you know, little Frank there. Um, our buddy Brian Williams, he used to be the manager of the band way back when. Mm-hmm. He now owns a bar in Niles called The Brass Eye. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen him around. Mm-hmm. But he was there as well. Um, Jimmy was there. We had um, Brian Pierce who came along too, was, who was uh, Crojo's ex-bandmate, but also does some things with Crojo right now as well, who's also a friend of the band. Um and all of these people who were uh, involved with with the record, my uh, my ex landlord also I used to think of her as my mother figure, Gretchen Priest. Mm-hmm. She plays fiddle on some of the tracks, and she actually laid her tracks down in Nashville. And having her on the record was a huge deal for me because we had always I mean I we were always playing music together way back when in South Bend. You know, like I said, she was my landlord. We were roommates, basically, in South Bend, uh, right down the street from Notre Dame. Back during the time when I first met uh, Bayless and Pony and all those guys, um, and having her on the record was was just a, was really special to me. And also having my brother do the score for um, Last Night in America. He did the um, the strings string arrangement for it mm-hmm. and that was the first time that my brother and I have ever collaborated on anything musically professionally before uh, so that was really really great for me that's got to be you know one of the one of the coolest things about it and then of course working with working and meeting Greg Majors in Nashville um, and his buddy um, Graham it was just it was fantastic you know those guys are just fantastic we had a ball of course having justin on the record and, and, and everything else it was just um it was really great and then you know working i tell you working on the record and then we stayed at um uh we stayed at hank snow's ranch his rainbow ranch outside of nashville on the weekends with lil frank brett paget uh jim stayed there myself and um, I'll stay there. I think that was it. Just us four. Oh, and Justin was there too. He slept on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so cool to stay in this in in Hank Snow's house. Yeah. With uh, it, it, it was they made it into an Airbnb. They have his tour bus sitting outside. I do still. remember seeing Jimmy's pictures on Facebook of that. Yes, it was really really cool. I mean, there's pictures inside with Elvis. You know, where he was at Hake Snow's house, you know, at that house playing piano in their living room. It's just really, really cool. Yeah. So the piano that Elvis was playing was actually there. And we were playing the piano that Elvis was playing. It was really, really fantastic. Yeah. So um, it's those kind of things that were the best part of making the album, the camaraderie um, of it all. That was definitely the best part for me. Yeah, I'm sure. So you let's you know just kind of go way way back. What? How old were you when you started playing guitar? 
I started playing guitar when I was a freshman in high school. And uh, the first guitar that I had was my mom had an acoustic guitar uh, that was, I don't know, no one ever played it. It was in the closet. And then I just started messing around with it um, out of boredom. And I remember I had that guitar and I had a Casio keyboard. I forget what it's called. I think it's a CS2. It's the one that had the infamous dog bark on it. Oh, yep, yep. We were just talking to my daughter about that because she wants a keyboard. And me and my husband were just talking about that. You you know, you can find those things. They're kind of expensive nowadays, but I should have kept it. But um, I had always been into electronics, too. So I had, I had this phase in high school where I was actually – I had like a CD station in my, my bedroom and I took apart like all these electronic stuff. And, um, I, w- I, before I learned how to play guitar, before I started playing guitar, I was a really good air guitarist and I would jump in my room. I, I usually did like Def Leppard and, um, Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, uh, Metallica. And I was, I was just, um, a really good air guitarist. So, I already had I already had the uh, predisposition to uh, to learn how to play guitar, I suppose. Um, so anyway, the first electric guitar I ha- I got was like a harmony guitar, and it was one of my friends, and he just gave it to me, and I of course took it apart mm-hmm. <laughs> and put it back together and tried to mess around with it and stuff, and then I started getting into pedals, and this is all through through high school. Um, uh, I was really kind of into the metal thing in high school uh like metallica was our big band and of course we liked suicidal tendencies and anthrax and megadeth and all that kind of stuff um so i was always into that kind of the 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 chuggy thrashy sound of, of the guitar and heavy metal and that kind of thing um but then i started to get you know outside when i graduated from high school that's when I started to to get into more refined music. I, I'll never forget the first song that I really knew uh, that I really uh, learned was um, "I Kick." No, "I Kick." What is it? Uh, that Led Zeppelin song, "Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You." Okay. That was the that was the first guitar song I learned how to play. Okay. And then I went from there. Um, I was really into Led Zeppelin at that time period too. So it was, uh, and then I got more into classic rock as high school kind of wore out. Um, and then, and like I said, after high school, I started to get a little bit more refined in my listening, and I started to really get into jazz. So I took a bunch of lessons, jazz lessons, um, in South Bend um, from a guy named Danny Chamberlain who gave me some, a lot of, um, uh, two, five patterns, two, five patterns are, it's a jazz, uh, arrangement of learning how to play certain notes over chord changes. So he basically got me started on my way on learning how to solo over chord changes. And, uh, right around that time period is when, um, I started to get together with, uh, my earlier bands. Juniper Tree. The very first band I was in was a band called Slaves Like You. And we were in South Bend and we didn't have a drummer. 
It was me on guitar. It was this old guy on bass. And there was this hippie freak guy named Daniel Young who played Congo drums. And it was a big beatneck. And he came up with the name Slave by Q, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And we did we did covers of, uh, I think we did some Steely Dan covers, and we did uh, some Grateful Dead covers, and then, uh, you know, things like that. Right around that time period, I started getting into the dead. And then Fish, I was a big Fish fan. I used to go to uh, the smaller shows before they got big, um, out in Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo and those places. Um, so, uh, right around that time period, the jam band thing was starting to go. I was in the band with, after Slaves Like You, I was in a band with Brett Paget called Juniper Tree. Um, and it was, we were a four piece and, um, we recorded a lot. Towards the end of that, we started to play with, um, well, we started to be acquaintance with Jake and Crojo a little bit more. We we even did have like a juniper tree recording that we did and it'd be gold right now if we could find it. But it's, um, it's a song called swinging at the space pop saloon. And it had a, a solo of Jake's on there. That was pretty fantastic. It's on an ADAP tape somewhere than in Brett Paget's uh, possession that we have yet to put on any kind of media, but uh, he still has it. Hmm. Uh, right around that time period after juniper tree, it was Alibaba's Tahini. That's when, when we started to get together, I think it was the summer of 97. Because mm-hmm. I had just I had just come back from California on a trip. We were we were harvesting apples, Brett Paget and I and his wife. And his wife's sister went out to California for a while and were harvesting apples and writing songs and all that bullcrap. And then we came back, and, um, and that's when I, we really started to play a lot together, Croge, Jake, and I, and then um, Croge would know more about the history. He's, he's much better at keeping good facts together and, and timelines and stuff, but I believe we worked towards playing a gig, and I think our first gig was, I think it was at Mickey's Pub. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Um, either Mickey's Pub or Bench Warmers. Or it might have been a coffee house or something. I don't even remember. But all these same places were the same places that Tashi Station started. You know, they played at too. Bench Warmers, Mickey's Bob. Tashi Station was basically, I don't know if you know what that is. That was mm-hmm. Umphreys before Umphreys. Yeah. So the Umphreys is basically the fusion of Tashi Station and Stomper Bob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where... I think Phil's farm came from Stopper Bob. I could be wrong. Maybe not. I, One of those. I thought so too, but I could also be wrong. So. Right, right. So, anyway, we had always been cutting it up with those guys because we share, you know, share stages a lot. We did a big show at the South Bend, the State Theater in downtown South Bend, um, where I think Humphreys opened for us. It was, it was both of us playing. It didn't matter who opened for who. But, at that point in time, it didn't really matter. But we'd, we'd throw these big shows and big parties, and the cops would come, and people would get arrested like Pony. <laughs> when Juniper Tree played at the Frank's Red Hots, and yeah. <laughs> he got arrested. <laughs> yeah, he got arrested and all that. That, that was a crazy night. Um, I just remember everybody was trying to stash their drugs in the uh, the bass drum. 
So like when our when our drummer got home, he like had all this weed and mushrooms and stuff in his bass drum. We're like, yes, <laughs> we got all we got out of that scot free. I don't know how we ended up like not getting in trouble, but the band we were good. I just but all the people who were there, I mean, including Pony and his friends. I mean, they got busted and. He must have been underage. Maybe he was underage yeah, at, he at that time. Yeah, he was underage. I think that's what, yeah, what did him in. That's what it is. So Ryan actually mm-hmm. played with, with your band, Juniper Tree, on a, on a tour, right? Yes, Ryan did. We went to, uh, we played at, uh, uh, a, 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 at, a, at a person's second house or summer home or something in Vermont. And he, got, he had to learn all the songs on the way to Vermont. It was definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. We had a problem. With, I remember we had a problem with bass players. Like we had, we had a really good bass player, and then Paget pissed him off. So we got another bass player, and then Paget pissed him off. I probably pissed him off too. So you know, when you're a kid and you're stupid, they say your brain doesn't develop until you're 26. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, we were, you know, 24, 25. So yeah. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, I do pretty, know. Pretty I, stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a teenage son, too. So, yeah, for sure, I know. Pretty stupid, pretty <laughs> egotistical, you know. So, so it was ABT after that, uh, and after Junior Patrick, ABT, and we played until uh, summer of 99, and then I moved down here to, to, um, to uh, North Carolina. And uh, that's when they picked up with Khalil, and then the rest is history, as you know. Yeah. Um, and and then after after Jake started with Humphreys, we had another reunion where Jake, Brian Williams, and Crojo drove down to Brass Town, North Carolina, and that's where we recorded Rock Stars and Lawnmowers. ABT. Then it was Carl moved down to North Carolina. Um, and then while I'm in North Carolina, I joined a reggae band uh, with authentic an authentic Jamaican reggae band that was living in Blue Ridge, Georgia. And the the two main members, Jati and Marla Allen, um, uh, Jati is actually from Kingston, Jamaica, and Marla is from London. And London, and she was with a group called the Lovejoys, which is a group uh, that consists basically of her and her sister on lead vocals behind a, a reggae band. Now, Jati actually roomed, he was a roommate with um, Bob Marley's keyboardist. Oh, and he wow. actually played with Peter, he played with Peter Tosh, he played with Barris Hammond, and all these reggae stars uh, from back in the day, back in the, the, they call them the glory years of reggae music. Yeah. So anyway, um, they were living in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which is right. It was like, you know, we're on a border town. I was living in Murphy, North Carolina, and we're basically a border town. Like Georgia is like 10 miles away. So Blue Ridge, Georgia wasn't too far from where I was living. And they, I don't remember how they found me. I think, I think I was playing music or, or I was hanging out at a party or something and they, they had asked me if I played guitar and everything, so I, I sat in, and then I learned how to, I learned their music, and it was intimidating as hell in the beginning. 
I mean, not only was I playing these shows in Southern Alabama with where I was the only white guy, but <laughs> it was also like intimidating as far as it was just so cut and dry structured that when you messed up, you messed up yeah. and you could tell. Yeah. So it taught me a lot about playing and about the music business, even outside of everything that I've learned up to the point of being with Alibaba Sahini and going on tour with them and, and everything else. So it was definitely a learning point for me. It was also a point in time where I learned more about how to use the guitar, hmm. uh, especially with soloing and stuff like that. Cause I, I had been the bass player for Alibaba Sahini. I'd been pretty much a rhythm player with Juniper Tree. I had been messing around with soloing with jazz stuff that nobody cared about. <laughs> in the in the in the early to late nineties. So I was, you know, I was outside. I had missed a lot in the nineties as far as music goes, because I was so focused on mostly jazz and fish and all that kind of stuff that I missed a lot of things. Like I missed Alice in Chains. I missed the Pixies, you know? And it wasn't until the in the 2000s when I got to learn about the Pixies. And I was like, how did I miss the Pixies? What the hell? So the Pixies, you know, and I'm going kind of on a tangent here. The Pixies for me were like this huge inspiration after rediscovering them. Like I remember being in high school and, you know, my senior year in high school, and these guys were walking around with Pixies t-shirts. And I was like, man, you look at these jerks. What the Pixies? What the heck is that? Probably some lame-ass, you know, crappy band, you know. I had no freaking idea how cool the Pixies were. No idea. And it wasn't until, like, uh, right around the Mother Vinegar days where I discovered the Pixies. And they were such a huge influence to my songwriting, especially in the later half of our Mother Vinegar years, that, you, that I, I, I give, I give um, Frank Black credit on some of these songs. I mean, it's just... They were, just, they were just so big. I really got into a phase where I was like, wow, how did I miss this band? How did I miss Alice in Chains? You know, I don't know how I missed Alice in Chains. I basically missed most of Nirvana. Wow. You know, I missed most, most of Pearl Jam because I was so stuck on, you know, I was kind of a, a snob about it. I was like, oh, no, it's not Miles Davis or John Coltrane. It's got to be stupid, you know. And, and that's just really narrow-minded of myself. That's one thing that I wish I could take back. I wish I could take back some of that narrow-mindedness back in the day and 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 to see a lot of other kind of musical opportunities that I just completely missed. I, I missed I missed the Foo, the Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. It isn't until recently where I discovered the Foo Fighters. I'm like, man, they sound fantastic. I was like, David Grohl is now a guitar player? What the hell is that? Mm -hmm. I had no freaking idea. <laughs> you know, what I was missing. So, um, but anyway, so I was with the reggae band. This was early 2000s. Um, and I, I went to the Caribbean with them. We played some shows out there. I played all over the South with them, all kinds of gigs, lots of gigs in Knox, Knoxville, lots of gigs in Atlanta, lots of bars, lots of frat parties. Um, it really kind of, made me realize a lot of things about myself and about my playing and about the industry and everything else. Um, kind of after that, um, I moved to Silva, North Carolina, 
which is a college town. It's about an hour west of Asheville. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's where Western Carolina is. And uh, my buddy was there, uh, Jacob Ebert. And Jacob, is he's like my, my partner in crime uh, in, in a lot of ways. Like literally a partner in crime <laughs> and, and actually uh, musically as well. Um, Jacob plays banjo and plays a little bit of a guitar. He's played more banjo. And he's like my banjo buddy where we would play banjo um, together and um, come up with these songs. So we started a band called Ravioli Riot. And our whole shtick was, and this was before like punk rock banjo music was cool. This was, this was, 2000, uh, this was 2004, 2003, 2004 where nobody was doing this kind of thing. We were the, we were one of the first to, to really do this, but we would get all dressed up in our suits and ties and we would set up in a bar or most, most of the time it was a bar because that was the only place that would let us play. And we put pickups on our banjos and we put distortion pedals on our banjos and on our acoustic guitars and we would do whatever it took to offend everybody in the bar. We would sing these offensive songs We'd flip everybody off. We'd call people out. And we used to um, just play mostly like like the Misfits and then all these other different kinds of songs. And then we wrote all these just disgusting songs still, uh, too. Like we, we, we had this one song called um, Hillary Clinton Jerked Me Off with a Mitten, uh, Jerked Me Off in the Water is another one. Uh, and then, of course, we did Training Bra. That came from that time period. Uh, Silva Mustang. And uh, the song Mess uh, that I played uh, over the weekend. And they're all just, just terrible songs, but they were fun. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was at a point in, point in time where people weren't so offended by stuff, where you could actually, you know, joke around like that. And people would say, ha-ha, you're an asshole. Ha-ha, that's funny, you know. And then they would throw stuff at us and they'd laugh about it. And we'd all, we'd all laugh and have a good time. It was great. <laughs> so that was the band called Ravioli Riot. We played in Asheville now and then. And of course we played around the area. We were kind of a, like an underground kind of college thing back in the day. Um, and then right around after that time period, I started to play with, uh, with Kevin too, with Ravioli, with, uh, I'm sorry, with Mother Vinegar. And uh, we really started to get serious with Mother Vinegar. And um, some of that Ravioli rambunctiousness kind of bled over into the mother vinegar so that we, you know, we were, we were like a high energy kind of a noisy band. I, I, you know, like I said, I took my inspiration from the Pixies mm-hmm. a lot musically back then. And, uh, some other, some other, like I was really into, uh, David Byrne and Tom Waits and that kind of thing. And, um, uh, so, you know, that's, that was the mother vinegar thing. And we just kind of dissolved after a while. Um, I moved back to, um, this area, Haysville area. And, uh, musically, um, the only thing I've been doing now is, is just, well, from that point on, I, you know, we recorded, um, living room mm-hmm. in 2008, 2009. And then, you know, 10 years later, we were doing the new album now. And all in the meantime, just doing studio work where I built my own studio downstairs and bought a bunch of more equipment that my wife can't stand. And (laughs) I started taking guitars apart, but always writing music. Um, 
I have a thing about writing music. Like all of all of our time playing in Mother Vinegar, mm-hmm. we never play we never played a cover song. Really? It was it was all originals. Hmm. I think if we did do a cover cover song, it was one and it was a big joke. But yeah, I was really adamant about playing original music, and Kevin was really adamant about us sticking to the program as well. So it was a massive writing time for me. Was during the um, Ravioli Riot, Mother Vinegar time frame. I wrote a lot of music. Some of those songs bled over into some ABT stuff, like there was um, uh, which one? Alice was one of them. And there might have been a couple more that we kind of crossed over. Um, I know that we played, we played Guilt. No, it was, it was, uh, was it Guilt? Which one was it? What's the other Vice song that we named? Oh, um, dang it. I can't remember. One of those songs we played with, with Mother Vinegar as well. We kind of, did both, but um, so yeah, that was that was a huge songwriting period of time for me. Where I mean, I don't know if you know about this about me, but but I write a lot of songs. That's kind of my my thing. Yeah, I've I've heard that's that's uh, that's your thing. So I want to I want to know like about so your songwriting, and then obviously songs that have become Umphreys. Some of them are, you know, staples, I guess you could say, which is like a weird word to use. But, you know, like songs that people would assume, I guess, are, are just Umphrey songs, but actually are your songs. Right. So talk about right. the songwriting relationship that you have with Bayless. Um, well, we, we always kind of hung out back in the day. We would go over to his house and he would always have really good weed and we used to smoke a lot of weed and, and basically party up with him a lot. Um, especially Crojo and I and him. Crojo would, would take me over there quite often when they were getting together and, uh, we would always just tinker around with stuff. I, like I said, I was kind of in the jazz thing. So I would kind of like, uh, show him kind of like what I was working on. He'd show me what he was working on that kind of thing. Um, we started to, we started to co- collaborate um, in little pockets here and there, like right after we came out with, uh, or right before living room came out, we were emailing back and forth on some stuff. And uh, we, we have this song called beer jacket that we've been, that we, I would love to, to, to have either one of us play. Actually, I think it'd be great where we kind of swapped out some lyrics. Um, and actually recently he just sent me a track that I put some, put some synthesizers on. Nice. Um, it's a pretty good song. Actually, he, it's called, um, it's not your fault. Okay. And I would, I would look for that song in the future. Cause I really think it's a good song that he wrote. Um, he's just a really good songwriter and we've always just kind of like, Back in the early days when there was both ABT and there was Umphreys, it would not be unusual for one of us to jump on each other's stage and make complete asses of ourselves. 
that happened frequently. I remember there was this place called Heartland. It was in downtown South Bend, and it was this country bar, and Humphreys was playing at one time, and I was totally wasted. And uh, I jumped on stage, and, and I had a beer bottle, and I was like, wagging it around like it was my penis and like and I was peeing all over everybody. It was uh, definitely one for the books. Um, I think they stopped asking me to come on board uh, after a while after that. But uh, I can recall doing that. I mean, half drunk, but it was, it was very common for that to happen. Bayless would sit in and play guitar with us often. I think the original time, the first time we played a bump, it was at um, Lulu's Cafe in South Bend. Which is right next to Notre Dame. And uh, we had our guest saxophone player. And I believe Bayless was there as well the first time we ever played that song. So there was always this thing where we would always go on each other's stages. And, you know, we kind of spread the love that way. And, you know, a song like Kabump, for instance, you know, um, I, I think I remember showing him how the song goes at one point at his house and then he picked it up and then they started playing it. And I think they put, they started playing it pretty early on, like back when we were, we were both bands. As a matter of fact, I played, um, I used to sing double F Mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, and I did that a few times while they were there. Like we were opening for them or something and I would bust out, you know, when I go up, I will be, you know, that kind of thing. So it was always kind of this thing going back and forth. Crow Joe was always sitting in with them. Still does today. <laughs> you sat in with them, though, what? Like last year, 2018, 2019, was it? Chattanooga? Oh, in Chattanooga, yeah. Well, they, I, it was kind of funny because when I got there, I was, I just wanted to cut. I, it was, it was great seeing everybody, right? So. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And I'm just, I'm just talking to them all, and I'm just cutting it up and stuff, having some beers, whatnot. And Bayless is like, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do." He's like, "I'm gonna sing, uh, don't you forget about me." And when we get to the part about blah blah blah, I want you to blah blah. blah. And I stopped him. And I said, "Whoa, I said, hold on, man. I said, my days are over, bro. I'm not going on stage. What are you talking about?" He's like, "Okay, whatever." You don't feel comfortable doing it. It kind of blew me off. It's like, yeah, whatever, you know. So anyway, it started to happen, right? The song was playing, and then it got to that break where he wanted me to come up. And then he was just, he was just basically talking shit about me, not coming up wanting to, to sing the song with him. So I was like, well, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so my buddy Chris was like, my buddy Chris and also my manager, I should say. My manager was like, dude, you got to go up there. you got to do it. So I ran up there, and then it's just like, okay, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i got a guilty, uh, a guilty, um, what do you call it, fetish of mine. Not a fetish, but a guilty pleasure of mine is I listen to the 80s on 8 all the time. And if it's not the 80s on 8, it's first wave, because I really love 80s music. Anyway, so I knew exactly where we were at the song, because I listen to this song all the time. I love this song. I love pretty and pink. <laughs> so I got up on there and then, and it was, it just fell into place. It was, it was kind of, it was kind of great. And he brought that out of me because there was no way I was going to go up there. I was just like, no way. But him talking trash, I was like, damn, I'll be damned if he's going to talk trash about me. So. Well, that's why he did it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. i tell you what, the best part about that night though, 
was talking to Bayless as long as I did. I have not talked, I've not had a conversation with him for that long, for a really long time. And I miss that guy a lot. And I wish that, I wish I lived down the damn street from him so I could just go on over to his house and say, hey, man, let's do this, that, anything. Because it's just, you just really don't realize how much you miss people until, um, until you don't have them around anymore. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. No. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, it again. was cool, and then I, I, I had to go early. I couldn't make it to um, Doom Flamingo, so I, I apologize, to Pony, for that. But one of these days, I will rage on some Mingo whenever, whenever we get back to normal. I haven't. I've have not caught a whole Doom Flamingo show either. Like it just every time I'm supposed to see them, it like it just doesn't work. So I I right. that with you. It just hasn't happened. Well, you gotta you gotta hand it to Pony to double like that. I mean, good God. I know. I, I, Real. He must have he must have some energy. He must have some kind of energy drink that he's you know maybe it's something that uh, Mary Welsh is feeding him or I don't know. But he's <laughs> just like he's got some energy to be doing that. I, I I mean when I asked him about it, I was like, you better be getting paid for that. He's like, oh yeah, don't worry about him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart man. So, He's very smart. He so, yeah, yeah money's an incentive, I guess. But uh, good God, I mean, to rage like that is just, wow. Yeah. wow. Hats yeah. off to him. I've, I've Hats definitely off to him. the same, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just about all I have, and I'll, I'll let you go because we've been talking for a little bit here. I don't want to take up your whole day, but I could listen to you well, chat about this shit all day for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I hope um, um, yeah I hope we get to chat some more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't wait to share these tracks that I've been working on with you and with everybody else. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get them out on SoundCloud ASAP. I'm going to um, I'm going to upgrade my membership on SoundCloud so I have a little bit more control to uh, do stuff. And um, I think that's going to be my primary release uh, vehicle is going to be. SoundCloud. So everybody, you know, look me up on SoundCloud. Um, I, I don't know if I have a handle on SoundCloud or what, but if, I'm sure if you just search Carl Engelman, K-A-R-L-E-N-G-E-L-M-A-N-N, I'll probably uh, show up there. I think the, the tracks that are on there right now are from my Christmas album that came out of a Christmas. Mm-hmm. I did like a short, I did a little short little Christmas album. And um, I plan on releasing that again next Christmas. And every Christmas from here on out, it'll be a tradition. Everybody will be wanting to know where the hell to get the sausage balls. <laughs> I love so it. So I'm excited. It. I'm excited about that. My parents were like, sausage balls? Huh? They're like, man, that is a real earworm. I was like, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> so love we it. created a different, we created a new tradition with the, with the sausage ball song and and uh, listening to Listening to uh, Daddy's weird Christmas music is what my kids think it is. My my youngest thinks it's a blast, and my teenager obviously rolls his eyes, as you can imagine. Oh, well, that's just, yeah, that's just typical. <laughs> How old is your teenager? He's, like he's 16. Minus two. <laughs> and, he, and, he just, and he just got a car. So oh, well, get off my, the road if you see him coming. Mine, he just got his learner's permit, but has to wait mm-hmm. now to do everything else because the DMV is closed. So 
that's been like his right. his bummer. Like I'm, we're, he'll still go out. We'll go out and practice driving and stuff, but he can't do anything else right now mm-hmm. because of the DMV. Right. Yeah, it's that's okay. Sucks. I'm okay. More practice. More practice. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's op- it's it's opening up soon. You know, yes. Last weekend, I I told you I went to a bar in Georgia. They had food there too, so so there's a reason why they could open, but. It, 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 there's so many people who are just like chomping at the bit. They're just like, look, I'm done. And I've talked to so many people like, we're not going back in. If this happens again, we're not doing it. We're just not going to do it. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy time. Yeah, definitely. Shit but, show. Uh, That's how I refer to it. The shit show. <laughs> yeah, it's a total shit show. For sure. Um, also, my, bu- my buddy, Andrew Chastain, he's still working on music. We're recording as well, we're going to be doing some drum tracks in my restaurant. Now that um, it's shut down, my restaurant has these really high ceilings with a foam insulation sprayed on the top. So there's a really nice decay in there. We're going to be recording drum tracks in the restaurant for uh, a new project that we're doing, working with him. He also has a new release. Um, uh, it's a quarantine song as well. I believe his song is called We're In It Together. Check him out on Instagram, Facebook. Andrew Chastain Band. He's out of Mercy, North Carolina, and he yeah, he plays with my buddy. Stuff. He plays my with my buddy Ben Kilmer, who's also been I've been playing with him forever. He's one of my most favorite drummers in the whole world. I love that kid. Uh, but give them a shot, a listen to as well. And also Crojo's Band. I think they're still playing, right? I they were what gonna is- play um, when the South Bend show was gonna happen in April. Right, energy. Interstate, interstate transit inter- interstate transit yeah yes. <laughs> yeah they were so, yeah they were definitely going to do that like pre-party umbreeze thing and then that none of that happened so well <laughs> hopefully you'll, you'll, i don't know maybe september when november whenever they reschedule it maybe that'll happen still well the, the the first thing you'll probably hear from food from my new album coming out is we're making a video on one of the songs called mushrooms so okay. keep an eye out for that. It'll probably be on Instagram. We'll probably put it out through the ABT page, I imagine. And I'll probably put it on my personal, too. Awesome. I'm excited to hear it. Okie dokie. All right. Well, thank you. This was awesome. Thank you for your time. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Awesome. Thanks for, for uh, calling me and doing this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, we'll definitely keep in touch, and I'll try to get some tracks out to you as soon as I get them done. That'd be sweet. Awesome. Well, thank you. Take care and and be safe and all that other stuff. You got it. So that's everything for this week's episode of Dropped Among This Crowd. I want to again thank Carl so much for his time. It was a lot of fun sitting down and chatting with you. There is a whole bunch of links in the show notes for past episodes, all sorts of Alibaba's tahini music and where you can find them on social media, where you can find Carl Engelman and where you can find his music, plus a whole bunch of other things. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you again for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love. <laughs>